Second Samuel. If you're not already standing, can you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Second Samuel. Keep on praising him. You don't stop praising him just because we read the word of God. That's when you're really praising. Oh yeah. Second Samuel chapter six. I want to summon your souls and invite your intellect to God's word. Second Samuel chapter six, beginning at verse twelve. Church is all right if I read all the way down to verse twenty-three. Is that all right? Now it was told King David saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him for this reason, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. He brought the ark up with gladness. So it was. When those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. Can I read that again? Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, David's wife, looked through a window and saw David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And when she saw this, she despised him in her heart. That didn't stop them. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offering and peace offering before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offering and peace offering, he blessed the Lord in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to every a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisin. Now y'all see where dinner after the church service came in to place in the basement of the church. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. And then David returned to bless his own household. And Michal, the wife of Saul, uh, the daughter of Saul, David's wife, came out to meet her husband David and she said to her husband, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, and as one of these base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. David said, girl, I got news for you. It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord of Israel. David said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this. 
and will be humble at the same time in my own sight. But as for the maid servants who you've spoken by them, I will be held in honor. Therefore, God will let us know Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. If I could tag this text with the title, I'd like to give you something to take home and remember. Dignified praise in an undignified manner. Dignified praise in an undignified manner. Look over your neighbor, look him in the eye and say, I saw you dancing. Naked. You may be seated in God's house. I saw you dancing. Naked. There is a contemporary adage, a proverbial truth that says it doesn't matter how you start as long as you finish well. Albeit there is some truth to that. But that truth definitely makes it good to sell books and it also is good for inspirational sermons. But I'd like to submit to you and say that sometimes if you don't start well, you won't end well. Sometimes if you start off wrong, you may not be able to recover from a bad start. Sometimes a bad start just gets worse along the way if it's not corrected. But if we start off good, church, then we have the potential to go from good to great. (laughs) So it was with King David, as we read in our scripture text this morning, King David has just been appointed and installed king over Israel. But he wants to make sure that he has a good start. David made a bunch of mistakes along the way. You know the story of David. But at the same token, while he was king and he made mistakes, because he had a good start, he had a good foundation. So when he made bad decisions, he was able, by the grace of God, to recover. No wonder God says in his commentary about David, He's a man after my own heart. Notice the first thing that David wants to do as king of Israel is to restore worship in Israel. He wants the people of God to be re-centered and focused on the glory of God. Listen to me, church. Let me say it again. David wasn't interested in building as king, starting off a new house, because of his new position and promotion as king of Israel. Some of y'all going to get this by Wednesday. David wasn't bent on revamping the military system when he was installed as king so that he could have better security. No. David wasn't focused on making sure that he had a new economic plan and development for his financial uh, success and guarantee. 
Now David's goal, David's heart, David's plan, as he started off a new reign, as he started off a new year, 2020, was to restore worship, the worship of a glorious, beautiful, majestic, holy, righteous, mighty, and almighty God before the people of God. Here's the reason why. Because this king realized that Yahweh was king of kings and that he was Lord of lords. So David said, it's imperative that we have a good start. Body of Christ, let me say this. That's a great way to start off anything, especially a new year. Body of Christ Church, before we cast vision, implement any policies, any plans, any missions, goals whatsoever for 2020, we have to start at this place. It may not be what you want to hear, but it's essential into what we need. We have to start with a plan to worship and adore God and to make Christ preeminent in the life of this church and all that we do. We have to restore the majesty and the supremacy of God and declare him not only in word but in song, but indeed not only in this church, but individually when we leave this building. Church, there's something striking about this narrative. There's, there's something that is it demands our attention in the text. There's something familiar, but yet it is still bizarre. It's outlandish. It's rather eccentric, if you will, if you take a look at the scene. It's not typical. Let's build a point from this point. So David the king, he's seen dancing in the streets of Jerusalem. David, a dignified king, president, is dancing in the middle of the street. Some of y'all, I think y'all already danced out, y'all by poo. David the king is dancing in the streets of Jerusalem. And the text says, but he's dancing before the Lord with all of his might. He's not just dancing. It ain't just a two-step. The text says David was jumping and he was whirling, leaping before the Lord. As a matter of fact, he's praising God so much in the dance and so much in his adoration and thanksgiving before God until his kingly and royal attire, his, his priestly garments, they came undone. In other words, church, King David had a wardrobe malfunction in the middle of praise and worship service. We don't know how much was exposed, what was hanging out. Some translators say, translators say that Dan, David was dancing naked before the Lord. But we do know is this, the response of his wife, Michal. As David danced before all the people, she looked at him dancing in the street out of the window of her house and criticized her husband, David, king of Israel, for dancing before the Lord, before the people in an undignified manner. The king has lost his dignity. She said that the king was actually not only uncovered, exposed himself, 
that he was dancing like a common man. And I love David's response, respectfully so, to his wife, Michal. This is what he said to her. My translation, not the King James. Girl, if you only knew. If you only knew how good God has been to me. You wouldn't be looking out the window watching me dance. You'd be out here dancing with me. We'd be getting naked before the Lord in an undignified way. Restoring the dignity that he deserves in our praise. Church, I think maybe we need to understand the story behind David's undignified manner of giving God praise in a dignified way. Let me go ahead and say this. Before we sit around, stand around, judging someone else and how they praise God, maybe we need to first know and consider their journey. And how they got to this place. What the story looks like. And then maybe we'll understand their tears. Maybe we'll understand their run. Maybe we'll understand their dance. Maybe we'll understand their shout. Maybe we'll understand why they're always singing praises unto God. We got to understand David's story. <laughs> the first thing I want us to know, notice is the reason for David's praise. Somebody say that. The reason for David's the main reason is simply this. David, his goal is to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem and to restore worship amongst God's people. David had been king now for seven years. The kingdom which was once divided under King Saul's rule. Now it has been consolidated as a result of David being appointed to the throne. And now David has taken the city of Jerusalem and he has made it a neutral zone between the north and the south, between Israel and Judah. Where the people of God can, no matter what the differences might be, can come back and they can worship God in the hub of worship, Jerusalem, that holy city, that Mosaic temple. But there can be no true worship, not unless the Ark of the Covenant is brought back. King Saul, if you understand, he was... The people's choice. But King Saul being disobedient to God and disobeyed Samuel, the prophet and representative of God, the judge of God. So therefore, Saul, as a result of him being a leader and abandoning God, then the people abandoned God. And worship languished in Israel. The Ark of the Covenant was lost a generation ago, some 70 plus years. And now David is striving Determined to start his kingdom off right with worship unto God as the centerpiece. He's bringing the ark back home. I'm still trying to tell you why David was worshiping in an undignified manner. The ark might seem insignificant on one hand. God instructs Moses and the children of Israel, the priesthood, of how to build the ark. It seems fairly simple. It's a rectangular box about three and three quarters feet long, two and a quarter feet high or wide, and two and a quarter feet uh, in its height. It contained the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue of God. Earlier on, the rod of Aaron was in the Ark of the Covenant as well as a pot of manna to remind them of the faithfulness of God. On the top of the Ark was the mercy seat, a solid 
slab of gold on which annually the high priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the day of atonement. The Ark of the Covenant was kept in the holies of the holies and uh, it was kept there and it was always covered when it was being moved or transported from place to place. As a matter of fact, it was only certain time of the year, only certain people could even look at the Ark of the Covenant. And if you were not one of those people or were and looked at it at the wrong time, God would strike you down. But the Ark of the Covenant is significant in that it represents the presence of God. It represents the presence of God. Lord told Moses in Exodus chapter 20, and there will I meet you in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. When you're moving across the wilderness and you erect the tabernacle of tenants of worship on my behalf, my Shekinah glory will come down and I will meet you in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. Wherever the Ark is, that is where God's presence is. The reality is the link, the connection between what we read in this Old Testament text and the parallel of the day. God's presence should be the true focus of our corporate worship. And although the reality is God's presence is everywhere because God is omnipresent. But the presence of God might be actualized, but it's not always realized by those in his presence. Y'all didn't catch that. Let me say it a different way. The reality is we're always in the presence of God. But God's presence is not always made fully aware in our consciousness. Let me say it another way. Y'all sleeping on me. The truth of the matter is there is not a place where you cannot go, where you can go, where God is not already there. We are all, we're always entering into the presence of God without ever exiting from his presence. Y'all didn't catch that right there. So when we say that we're entering into the presence of God, he's already there, always been there. But now we are realizing in our consciousness, in our intellect, in our soulish being that we are before the presence of God. That's one of the greatest reasons why we meet on the first day of the week. <laughs> we start the first day of the week off in the house of the Lord. We understand God's his presence, his house is wherever we go, whatever day of the week it is. But there's something special about Sunday mornings. When we come to the house of the Lord, because here is where we focus on the presence of God. And if we start our week off knowing that we're in the presence of God and giving God reverence in his presence, then we realize when we leave this building, we are still Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in the presence of God. And he deserves to be praised, adored, and to be worshipped. But shame on those who don't start off in the house of the God on the first of the week, in the first of the year. <laughs> they wonder why you're catching so much hell during the week. It's probably not because you're catching it, but because you're raising it. And one of the reasons why we're raising it, because we've made a distinction, a distinction that Sunday morning is for God, but Wednesday morning is my time. The Ark of the Covenant was a 
type of Jesus Christ. The materials, the gold, and the wood. The golds represented his royalty and his deity, but the, the wood represented his humanity. The gold represent that he is God in his very essence. But on the other hand, the wood represents that he is the sacrificial lamb on behalf of our sins. The person of Christ, the God-man, and yet the son of man. I'm still getting to the reason why David is praising God. Y'all walking with me? The Ark of the Covenant was stolen. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just stolen, it was lost. Held carelessly in the custody of the children of Israel. But how was it lost? Israel had gotten to the place where the worship of God had become not only stagnant, but it was dry. It, was, it came strictly ritual and tradition at best. You remember when uh, the two priestly sons of Eli, uh, Phinehas and, and Hophni, they were corrupt priests. They were wicked priests. They were uh, uh, gr- uh, locked in greed. Not only that, but they were committing immorality with women at the doorway of the tabernacle without any fear or reverence to God. <laughs> but when Eli encountered difficulties from the Philistines, when they sought to attack Israel, somebody got the idea. Let us take the Ark of the Covenant that they had so ignored into battle with us because we know if we take the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God with us, he'll fight our battles. <laughs> so they were using the Ark of the Covenant, the name and reputation of God as a good luck charm. Stay with me, church. God's about to speak to somebody. And yet using God as a good luck charm, God arranged for them Israel to be defeated and the ark was captured by the Philistines. Uh, let me say this by way of application so I don't miss this point. There's some folk that are in church every Sunday. Some folk come to church occasionally on Sunday. But they only come to use God as a good luck charm. They only come in the presence so that God will bless them Help them with their problems and their troubles. So they feel like if I just rub God the right way like a genie in a lamp, then he has to grant my prayer requests. He has to grant my wish. Let me tell you this. Keep rubbing God. Listen, and what you think is the right way, you wind up rubbing him the wrong way, and you have to suffer the consequences of the wrath of God on your life. God is desire to be worshipped. The Philistines, they had captured the Ark of the Covenant when Samuel was just a child. The glory had long departed from Israel. The Philistines, they had the Ark of the Covenant of God, representing the presence of God, but they didn't know what to do with it. That's what happens for some folk who don't know God, but they want the presence of God, but they don't know what to do with him when they got him. So they walked around with the Ark of the Covenant, they marched into battle and to war. They went into Ashdod, they went into to Gath, they went into Ekron. Carrying Israel's Ark of the Covenant it represents the presence of Yahweh, Jehovah God. And every city they went to in battle, not only did they lose in battle, but disease and sickness, plagues followed them. God sent a plague on the Philistines. The Philistines said, Let's put this ark away. Let's put it in a sacred spot 
in the temple of Dagon. So they set the Ark of the Covenant. Y'all stay with me, church. The presence of God next to Dagon, their idol god. And when the priests of Dagon came in the next morning, the arms of Dagon, the statue, had fallen to the ground, broke off the body. They looked around and said, anybody got any super glue? Put the arms back on. The next day the priests come in the temple and the head of Dagon had fallen off to the ground and bowed down before Yahweh at the Ark of the Covenant. God then struck the Philistines with boils and sores, tumors of some sort, all over their bodies, and, and mice just overtook the city, their houses. Mice, they were the rodent infested everywhere. I got news for you in terms of application. If you got a house full of mice, you want to check your relationship with God. Church, there are some who only, like the Philistines, want to parade God when around when you need him. So we wear God t-shirts, God bumper stickers, God scripture, personalized license plates everywhere we go. We're talking Christianese everywhere. God this, God that. Oh, God is this, God is that. Oh, he blessed me like this. But the truth of the matter is, you're like the Philistines. You only want to parade him around, show him off. But the reality is he makes you uncomfortable in your presence. And so therefore, like the Philistine is like, can somebody else take him? I like for him to be my trophy, but I don't want him to be my Lord. So finally, they, they said, we got to get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. They put the Ark on a, a wagon, a cart. They had two oxen carrying the wagon and they took it to the Israelite territory. And finally they moved it to, after a few stops, Kariath-Jarim. It's only nine miles west of Jerusalem. Just nine miles. Right outside of the city of David. And so they took it to Abinadab's house. And when they took it to Abinadab's house, they, they consecrated Eleazar to watch over and guard the Ark of the Covenant. And I can just see uh, 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 Abinadab saying, yeah, come on, bring Bring it in here and sit it right here in the living room. Seventy years it sat there like a piece of furniture. The Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God in Abinadab's house. And the reality is when you read the text, we don't hear any mention, any testimony of what God did in Abinadab's house while the Ark of the Covenant was there. And so David said and gathered all the people together let us go and reclaim the ark from Abinadab's house and bring it back to Jerusalem to restore worship to Yahweh. I'm still working my way to tell you why David was had a radical dance before God. And so therefore, the text says that David assembled all the Israelites together from Shinar River to Egypt to, to Lebo of Hamath to bring from uh, Kareem, uh, uh, excuse me, from Kareath Jareem the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. He had 30,000 men, the text say, follow him. 
lining the streets. If they're 30,000 men, it only count the men, but you can imagine for every man there's a woman. There's 30,000 women, that's 60,000 people. For every man and every woman, there's got to be at least one child. There's 30,000 children, 90,000 people that David has convinced as king, representing God, to go and let's go get the Ark of the Covenant and come back and restore worship in Israel. <laughs> that ought to get somebody excited. But look at how they transported the ark, the presence of God. Evidently, David didn't seek the Lord. David wasn't reading the Torah, the Bible, about how the ark should be transported. So what he did was he had them to put the ark of the covenant on a wagon, a new wagon. That's very admirable. Two fresh oxen. Got to give them credit for that. And then the the sons uh, 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 of uh, um, uh, uh, Abinadab, uh, Yuza and Ohio, not Ohio, that's the state. Yuza and Ohio, they accompanied the cart. Uh, Ohio is on the front driving the cart with the oxen. His brother Yuza is in the back of the cart, the rear of the cart. Now you can imagine David king but former praise and worship leader they're now singing songs before the cart walking and marching these nine miles to Jerusalem David is in the front of the processional oh he can lead some praise and worship now they got all the musicians the wind instruments the harps the string instruments the drums the cymbals the tambourines they're all marching and singing in this processional leading the ark back to Jerusalem the holy city for worship and all of a sudden, one of the oxen lost his footage. And the cart began to tilt. And the Ark of the Covenant began to slide off the back of the cart. And user decided he was going to grab hold to the Ark to save the Ark so it wouldn't hit the dirty ground. <laughs> Church, this is what God did. Struck him down and killed him right on the spot. Now we might say that's a little overboard, but here's the point that God was making. Listen carefully. You can't handle me any kind of way and get away with it. You can't handle me any kind of way and get away with it. We might, we might even try to reason and say, well, wait a minute. User did what any furniture mover would do. <laughs> You're moving a piece of furniture. Grandma shift a roll. Y'all don't know nothing about that. And it starts sliding off the back of the truck. You better grab that thing before it hits the ground. That's what you're supposed to do. But this, the Ark of the Covenant has been in Abinadab's house for 70 years. Using either the son or the grandson of Abinadab, he's seen this piece of furniture all of his life. But that was the problem. It had become just another piece of furniture instead of being a sacred representative of the presence of God. One commentator said, user had the idea that his hands were cleaner than the dirt that the Ark of the Covenant was about to fall in. But this is what the Word of God says. Listen to me carefully. Man sees the outward appearance, and that's the way we think. But God knows the heart. God knew that user's hands, his heart, was filthier than the very ground that he was trying to save the Ark of the Covenant from. 
God is not commonplace. And we shouldn't treat him that way. But he should have known, David should have known that only the Levitical priests could handle the Ark of the Covenant. And even they weren't allowed to touch it. And you don't put it on a wagon with oxen pulling it. You put it on two poles, inserted through rings attached to it. And the priests put it on their shoulders and they carried the glory of the Lord. God speaking to somebody here. So where did David get this idea from? Put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart and then get a new cart and some fresh oxen to pull it. He saw how the Philistines got it there. If it was good for them, it must be good for me. In other words, David looked at how the world handles God and he decided to bring the world into the church. Now some of y'all especially don't like contemporary music. Already you thinking I'm talking about music in the church. See that's what I'm talking about. Y'all tapping each other. I can see y'all out there. <laughs> bringing all the world, the worldliness in the church. It's like Tuesday night. That's why I was going to get up and leave because they got all that rap stuff in the church. Lights flashing. Music all loud. Hurting my ears. It ain't nothing but worldliness. Let me tell you something. There ain't no music from heaven. There ain't no music ever came down out the sky. No musical instruments, no rhythms, there's no metrical systems, there's nothing that ever came out of heaven. All music is from this side of the world. When we talk about worldliness, it has nothing to do with the tone, the tenor, and the type or style of music, but it has everything to do with the people who are singing it and playing it. Listen, their value system that is connected to their heart. So how do they value God? Is their heart and praise connected to God? And do they value God more than the world does? That's what worldliness is. That's the root of worldliness. Do the people in the church make God the highest priority and esteem Christ above all and make him preeminent in all things? Let me say this. You just can't worship God how you want to worship. He has written a book called the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. 16 uh, books in that book that says this is who I am and how I should be worshipped. My name should be hallowed. My name should be revered above all the earth. And you shall worship me in fear and trembling. <laughs> Can I layer the story of the Samaritan woman on top of this for a moment? Is it all right? God bless all six and a half of y'all. You know the story. Jesus goes to Samaria, meets a Samaritan woman. She's got her issues. We all do. We all do. We all do. Y'all do on this side too. We all do. When Jesus says to her, those that worship God must worship him in spirit and truth and God is seeking those who would worship him. Spirit and truth. Now let's deal with the spirit part. Those who worship me ought to worship me with a sincere heart. But you have to be able to connect that heart, sincere heart. David had a sincere heart. But you got to be able to connect the heart 
with the truth about who God is and how he is to be worshipped. Now the context, somebody say context. The context, what Jesus says when he says, those who worship me or worship the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. Here's the context that led to that. Jesus said to this woman, you want this living water? She said, you know I do. Jesus said, well, go home and get your husband. She said, oh, Lord. I know we ain't going there. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you told the truth about that. I ain't trying to put you on the spot or embarrass you. But you've had five husbands. And old dude you with now, he ain't yours. She said, oh, I perceive that thou art a prophet from God. (laughs) Nobody knows that, not unless he is from God. So then she want to shift from what goes on in her heart, truth, to religion. (laughs) She said, I can tell that you are Jew from Jerusalem, and it's in Jerusalem where Jews worship God, the place, geographical location. And it is in this mountains where the Samaritan worshiped God. My fathers and Gerizim have worshiped God. And Jesus said, girl, let me tell you something. There's coming a day, and it won't be long, that neither in Jerusalem nor in this mountain will people worship God, but they will worship God in spirit and in truth. In other words, wherever you go, God is already there. The presence of God. You got to wake on the Ark of the Covenant. You got to wake on the Mosaic Temple in Jerusalem or in this mountain in Gerizim. No, God is there. And everybody, listen, who worships him must worship him from the heart, spirit. But it's got to be connected to truth. That truth is in two parts. Number one. The truth is, do you know who it is that you're worshiping? Because if you knew who it is that you're worshiping, you would have asked him for that living water. You worship what you do not know. It's imperative that we go to a church that not only emphasizes worship, but biblically giving the accurate record of who God says that he is and how he is to be revered, adored, and worshipped. Then he says, this is the second part of truth. It's the one that you want to evade. Go get your husband. In other words, God says... You can't live one way out there and then going to come in here and throw your hands up like everything is cool with God. It's one thing I know we got some stuff in our life out there. But if you're going to bring it in here, you got to lay it before the Lord. You can't act like it's okay to go home to the one that you ain't with or ain't yours. Reminds me of a story years ago. There was a church in England when they had built the choir stand. They intentionally built it where it sat lower in the floor. And so when the congregation saw the choir members, when they sat down, they could only see some of them, the top of their heads. Not only was it built lower, below eye level, the congregation's sight, But they had a rod and they had a black curtain between the choir and the congregation. 
some of the choir members when they would sing the opening song and worship the anthem after singing the songs they would sit down the congregation could barely see them if see them at all and some of them would sneak out get down on their hands and knees and crawl behind the curtain go out the door side door of the church and run across the street to the bakery to get a fresh donut eat it and come back in time to sing the second song one man decided in the choir that he was going to do the same thing so after they sung the anthem he got down on his hands and knees behind the rod and the curtain and began to crawl out the side door to his left side when he got outside he stood up ran across the street but instead of getting one donut he got a whole bag of donuts He came back to the church, but instead of coming through the same door he went out of, he came to the opposite door, got down on his hands and knees, and now he realized he got to put the bag of donuts in his mouth. So he's carrying the bag of donuts like a dog in his mouth, crawling on his hands and knees, but because he came through a different door, he's now on the side of the curtain and the rod where the congregations can see him, and they're laughing hysterically. Here's the point of the story. God can see you on both sides of the curtain. And he knows the donuts you got in your mouth. Tap your neighbor and say, what kind of donuts you got? So here's David's response when God strikes user down and he kills him. David got angry with God. David got rocks in his jaws toward God. He's hot. He's angry. But why? Why is David angry? Because God struck a man down who touched the Ark of the Covenant in an unclean manner. Let me give you two reasons why. And neither of these are listed in the text. Because the text doesn't say why David was angry with God so what the pastor's going to do today is speculate. And if I speculate, it's got to be right. <laughs> it's called sanctified speculation. Number one, I think David wanted desperately to restore worship back to Israel. He is sincere about getting the Ark of the Covenant back. But now David sees that God strikes A servant down who's trying to bring the ark back to restore worship. And so David is now frustrated because David is thinking, I'm doing my best to restore worship back to you. And what you're doing in my effort is killing folk along the way. We ain't never going to be able to do what I want to do for your honor if you keep killing people along the way. So he's frustrated. Anybody ever got frustrated in your walk with God? You're trying to do the right thing, but it seems like it just doesn't pay off. But the second reason, I think the greatest reason, in my estimation, why David is angry with God. Because his pride is damaged. Me and David, we connect pastorally. David's got 90,000 people. Plus, that have followed him to the street. David has stood before the people of God, the congregation. He's pastor king. 
David has revealed to the people, God has given me his word. I am speaking on behalf of God to restore worship to Israel. And God says, specifically, go get the ark and bring it back to Jerusalem. The people are like, hey, let the man of God speak. So they rally all together. You got the church leaders, associate ministers, the pastors. You got uh, the deacons, the trustees. You got the praise and worship folk. You got 90,000 people that have left home, job, everything. And they're walking in the street. They're marching and they're singing un- unto God. And in the midst of the middle of the praise and worship service, in the middle of the church, God kills a man. They ain't looking too good for David's reputation. Because you know what people start thinking. Wait a minute, bro. You told us God told you to go get the ark and to do it this way. Why would God kill a man? Evidently, you ain't preaching truth. Now, you can only imagine, as soon as others were struck dead, the ones who did not run from the scene, they walked real fast. God is in the striking down business and I don't want to be one of those that get struck down. And so what did they do? They walked away from the church. <laughs> Why? Because something went down bad in the church. Why do people feel like when something goes bad in the church that it disqualifies the church? (laughs) When the local church makes headlines doing a good deed, but in the process, process, something bad, y'all getting quiet on me, happens in the church. Why is it that people feel like if the church is doing God's will and mission, that it should always, every day, look successful, prosperous, and feel good in the process. <laughs> so folk got up and left. David standing there, I can imagine by himself. Wait, hey, wait, wait, hey, 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 wait, where, hey, bro, where you, hey, 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 at least bring my guitar back, bro. <laughs> Don't take the offering plate with you. How do you recoup from that? You can hear the music going, uh, uh. And here's what I realize in this process. When David struck down Uzzah and the people left, sometimes God got to move some people in order for him to move in. You take that however you want to. But I know that there's some folk, listen carefully. They leave, but they drop in every now and then to see if you're still alive. Just to make sure God ain't struck you down yet. They're not here for the success. They're not here to glorify God. They're only here as a witness Oh yeah, of course it was packed out on Tuesday night. Let's see what it's going to look like on Sunday morning. Some I can hear some of y'all saying, "Move on, Rev, move on." 
But but here's David's here's David's remedy. Listen to this carefully. Here's David's remedy. David said, wait a minute, let me take a minute and go Facebook Live. Some of y'all gonna catch that. David said, wait a minute, let me take a minute. I guess y'all pay no attention to what the pastor's doing on Facebook. And let me go Facebook Live. David said, wait a minute, let me take a minute. All right. So David said, let me, let me sit down somewhere and read my Bible, first of all, and see how God is to be worshiped and who God really is. Secondly, I need to go and sit down in somebody's church and listen to the word of God before I enter into the presence of God. So David did this. He took the Ark of the Covenant to Obed-Edom. We don't know a whole much about Obed-Edom. It's not a place, that's a person. But the text just simply says he's a Gittite. In other words, he's of the Levitical uh, priesthood and they were the only ones who were supposed to handle the Ark of the Covenant. Now you're on the right road. Some preacher, he listened to the sermon, read the Bible, read the Torah, said, now you got to take this thing to Obed, Gittite, and the, the Gittite, and he left it there for three months. Now here's, here's, here's what we read. Word got back to David. The Ark of the Covenant's been in Obed, Edom for three months. And God blessed Obed, Edom. Did y'all hear that? Three months, didn't strike them down, and God blessed Obed, Obed, Edom. But then when we look at the text, we understand that when, um, the word, when the Ark of the Covenant was in the house prior to that, it didn't say for 70 years anything about Abinadab and what happened in his house when the presence of God was there. I'm gonna say that again real slowly. When the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, was in Abinadad's house for 70 years, nothing happened. Good or bad, but nothing happened. But when the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, listen, is in Obed-Edom's house for only three months, God blessed him in his household. Isn't it amazing how you can get two people to come to the same church and in the same presence of the Lord and both of them leave with different effects. One person leave, you ask them, how was service today? It's all right. There ain't nothing happening up in there. Then somebody else leave the same church, same singing, same service, same preached word. Listen, sitting in the same section. Ain't like God is higher here than he is back there. In the same section, how was church? Girl, you should have been there. The spirit of God was moving. I am so blessed. Do they go to the same church? How is it one hear one message and the other hear another message? How is it that one gets nothing? I didn't get nothing out of it. Preacher just just blowing a lot of hot air. Quiet, they can't sing. And the other one was like, the praise was going up before God. Oh my God, you 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 should have been there. I feel so blessed. I feel so encouraged. I feel the joy of the Lord springing up in my soul, a peace that is unexplainable. I feel like I want to tell everybody else about Jesus. One, nothing. The other person, God is my everything. How does that happen? It happens with our attitude. How we handle God. How we come into the presence of God. You got to come in correct if you want to leave correct. So they get the Ark of the Covenant. And I can see some brothers like, hey, David, we got this card. He said, boy, you better put that card up. <laughs> the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the way it's supposed to be carried. And here's what the text says. 
and David and the company, they're singing songs and they, they take six steps at a time. One, two, three. I can see them going real slow. Five, six. Don't worry about four. Oh, how math ain't myself. I don't even read the book of numbers, all right? And David looked back and he said, everybody good? He said, we good. Ain't nobody dead? No. God didn't strike nobody down. How about the choir? Y'all good? Yeah, we good. Y'all good? Yeah, we good. How about y'all people in the balcony? Y'all good? Yeah, we good. And they began to sing praise songs unto God and they offered sacrifices unto God, even the fatted animals. David said, okay, we're good. Can we go a little further? We got nine miles. They're taking six steps at a time. Because now he has a sat himself down, read the word of God, who God is, truth. He already had spirit, but now he's got truth and how God should be worshipped and how God, how we enter into his presence. And he's doing it God's way. And he took six more steps. One, two, Three, I, listen, I'm going to take these six steps to nine miles. Y'all might as well stay with me. Ain't nobody going nowhere. Four, five, six. David say, everybody good? Here we good. Ain't everybody alive? Everybody preach y'all good? Are we good? All right, how about y'all? Digging choir, everybody good? We're good. First lady, you're good. We're good. Everybody's good. And they take six more steps. And all along the way, you keep asking yourself, why do they keep taking six steps at a time? Well, six represents the number of man. It's a number of perfection. We're going to take six steps at a time because we're mere human. And we are, are imperfect. And if God don't kill anybody every six steps, then we're going to offer him a sacrifice. We're going to give him praise. We're going to dance. We're going to sing because we deserve to die before a righteous God. Somebody is supposed to be struck down. So when they finally get this back, six steps at a time, nine miles, all the way back to Jerusalem, David is singing, dancing like crazy in the whirlwind, and his clothes fly open. His wife is looking out the window. Verse 15 said, David the Reverend and the church just weren't Worshiping God, but the results of worship is that they began to give food to those who were in need. So they took a loaf of bread and they took meat to every household. Men, women, you can imagine poor, rich, didn't make any every household. They got a loaf of bread and they got some meat. We're gonna celebrate, but everybody gonna celebrate together to make any difference what economic level you're on. You got you got a loaf of bread, you got some meat, and he gave everybody pineapple upside down cake. Raisin cake, I'm sorry. <laughs> but then there's a turn. Somebody say there's a turn. There's a transition. The Rev goes out and he blesses everybody else. He's just so excited. Coming back home. Trying to get himself together. David now goes, we understand his reason for praising God. But now, secondly, we see there's his, there's a resistance to David praise, David's praise before God. David went to his own house. The text said he went home to bless his own house after praising God. And when he opened up the door, all hell broke loose. How many of y'all know, as soon as you get focused on God, as soon as your goal and your heart in truth 
is to make Christ first in your life. As soon as you start giving God the praise, it seems like all hell break loose. And listen to this, because you got to understand, the devil don't care nothing about you as long as you got a lackadaisical attitude toward God. But when you make Christ the priority of your life, listen to this, he is on the attack. He's not going to sit back with his legs crossed and let you be comfortable. But David goes back to bless his own household. And Michal, the, the daughter of Saul, but his wife, his first wife, she meets David. And I can see old girl standing there in the corner as he comes through the door. He closed the door and she's standing right there. She said, hey, how you doing? Oh, how glorious was the king today of Israel. Standing out in the street. Uncovering himself before the people and especially the women. Shamelessly. Out there dancing like a common man. And I can see David going, what the? I didn't even say nothing. I just walked in the house. Church, we got a problem. His own wife is criticizing him for praising God. First of all, let me say this again. This chick should have been in the street praising God herself. But instead, she like a lot of y'all. Would rather look through the window at somebody else praising God and then criticize and critique their praise. She should have been not in the window, but down there with her husband, praising God. But why is she so upset with David? Why is she upset, so upset with the man of God, the king, the representative of God, representing the priesthood of God? Why is she so upset? Well, let me say this. You would think that she and every woman would rather have a man that's Drunk in the spirit instead of drunk in the club. Y'all, listen, I'm always encouraging y'all women and I'm going to encourage y'all again, but listen to me carefully. You would think she, like every woman who has a man in the church, would rather see her husband high on Jesus versus high on drugs. You, you would think that she, like every woman, would rather have a man that's beating a drum for the Lord in praise versus beating her upside of her head. That, that's what you would think. That's, that's what I would think. Come on, my sister, lean in for a moment. L- lean in. I've noticed sometimes that the women outside of the church treat their man better than the women inside the church treat their man in the church. I can see some of y'all say you just messed the sermon up. (laughs) Now listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. Women outside the church when they got a thug They know he ain't coming home. They know he running the street. They know he out there with other women. But he's taking care of me. Got clothes, got shoes, got a roof on my head. Bought me a nice car. Gas tank full. I have no needs. Listen, he ain't right 
but I'm going to respect him because that's my man. And we'll fight for the honor. That Negro can be out with this woman, that woman, and that woman. And he, she ain't going to attack him. Now, she might cut up a couple of his clothes. She might bust one of his windows out. But she going after old girl, the side chick, for messing with her man. She going to honor her man. And then when old dude gets saved, and she in the church, he can't do nothing right. You criticize him for everything. Why are you up there in front of the church dancing? You just trying to be seen before the women of the church. You just trying to make a name for yourself. He said, I had a name for myself when I was on the streets. When I came in the house of the Lord, I left my name out there. I come home every day to you. I bring the money home. I love you and you alone. I ain't got no women in my phone. I ain't calling nobody. I ain't texting nobody. I ain't sneaking around the corner. I worship God first and I worship you. I can't get no respect. Thug life is better than the Christian life. So what's going on? It's, it's, let me tell you something. It's more than what meets the eye. There's more stuff going on here than you ever find on Greenleaf. I'm telling you. I'm almost done. So David went into Micah, uh, Macau. <laughs> she all upset. But how many folk know, oftentimes when people upset, male or female, man or woman, it's usually not about the thing that they're talking about. It's something underlying. Why are you so upset? Verse 21, David says, I know why you upset. He gives her three reasons. It's in this one verse. David said, the first reason why you upset is this. Saw me dancing in the street, but that ain't the real reason. First reason why you upset is because God has chosen and elevated me before your no good daddy. That's what the text says. That's what he says. <laughs> he sat your daddy down, but he raised me up. That's, that's exactly what, that's why you really, that's why you, excuse, that's why you upset. Sorry, y'all. My Monday morning language kicks in every now and then. I almost let it slip. Now, that's why you all upset. That's why you upset. Then the second reason why he says, now, now, that ain't the only reason why you upset. He says, listen, the reason why I give God this radical praise is because I, David, understand who I am, what I'm made out of, and where I came from. And it's only by the grace and mercy of God that he's elevated to be king. In other words, I don't deserve this. So you and nobody else ain't going to tell me how I'm going to praise God. Thirdly, <laughs> David says, I wasn't dancing before you. I was dancing before the Lord. Matter of fact, I wasn't dancing for the women. I wasn't dancing for the men. I wasn't dancing for the band. I was dancing for God. So what you got to do with it? Now, that's what he said. That's what he broke it down. How he broke it down. <laughs> I told you, there's some, there's some drama going on in here. But who is this chick, Makai, anyway? Who is she? Well, first of all, she's the youngest of Saul's daughters. Saul had made arrangement that David could marry his youngest daughter. 
Matter of fact, the text says earlier, she loved him and he loved her. But it really was a setup. So you got to understand that when Saul and David came back from one of their great battles, when they entered into the city, the women in particular were standing out in the street and they started singing. Saul has slain thousands, but David is slain 10,000. And the text says, and the women who danced were Saul's female cheerleaders. But they're cheering for David. His wife says, then the same chicks that was cheering in the, in other words, she let her personal feelings come in between her praise toward God and her husband's praise towards God. So they come back and all the women cheering for David. So Saul said, okay, I'll fix this. He says, hey, you're such a great warrior. Be careful because some folk will smile on your face and tell you how good you are only because they want to see you fail. They'll make a bunch of promises until you elevate it and then you get no support and encouragement from them whatsoever because they thought you were going to fail. So Saul says to David, I'm going to give you my youngest daughter. She's pretty, ain't she? Yeah, yeah, she is. But this is what I want you to do as a dowry. All right. I want you to go out and I want you to gather X amount of Philistine foreskin. This is going to be the dowry that you bring to me. Now, the reason why he told him that is because he didn't expect David to survive the Philistines. So when David comes back, he got a sack of Philistine foreskin. Throws it at Saul's feet. Says, hey, you go where my girl at now. <laughs> you ain't think I was going to make it, did you? Oh, bless the Lord and all that is within me. They got married, but then Saul went out the back door, took Michal, and had her marry another man and then sent her away. Text said David was crying up something. Loved him some Michal. Time goes on. He's heartbroken, but the brother got over it. He married six more women while she was gone. Now the Bible doesn't say, but then she comes back into the picture. This is the first time we see her. She back up in the crib. Talking junk. You've been with another dude. I know your daddy married you off, but you could have came back. You could have snuck out in the middle of the night. So she comes back. And when she comes back, now she walks in the house and there's six other wives up in there. She a little hot. You can understand why she don't like her man out there praising God in the streets before other women. Y'all getting the picture now? Like, like sand through an hourglass so are the days of our lives. <laughs> so David and his wife, Michal, the relationship was messy, needless to say. But instead of her trying to make it right, instead of her being out there joined hand to hand worshiping God together instead of being locked and centered on God she decided to become a spectator in the window instead of a worshiper let me tell you something worship is not a spectator sport (laughs) you can't worship from the window God has not called you to be a window watcher 
What she got on? Where she get that from? Who she thinks she is? Oh, she crying. Something must be going on in her life. Stop trying to evaluate other people. There's something going on in everybody's life, including yours. But instead of her undressing herself, look at your neighbor and say, undress yourself. Here's what I mean. She was born into royalty. That's the only thing she knows is expensive clothes, expensive house, expensive car. That's the only thing she knows. Her daddy, Saul, was a king. Then she marries a king. That's all she knows. Probably old dude she was off with, he probably got some dough too. She is spoiled rotten. So now when she sees the king acting in an undignified manner, even before the Lord, then she says, you like common people undressing yourself. When she needed to undress herself of her pride and give God the, the praise that he was worthy of and do of. Listen, don't let your personal feelings get in the way of your worship toward God. Because you look over, you don't see somebody that you don't think they like you, you don't like them. They don't speak to you, they don't look at you, even if they treat you badly. I don't care if you are in hell and ain't nobody there that want to love the Lord and worship God. You worship God for yourself. Stop looking through the window of everybody else's life. Judging folk and think how you ought to work. Yeah, this is, this is, so, cause somebody, even today, I can tell, it's like, doing the praise and worship, y'all like, oh, no, 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 uh, no, we ain't never done this. We don't, we don't, I don't like this kind of worship. Listen, it's the one thing about praise. Praise is an activity as a result of what happens in the heart. Praise is the result. It is the verbal, it is the physical action as a result of what moves the heart. Whatever moves the heart is how the body responds. Listen to me carefully. This is why parents, as parents, we teach our children. Listen, when somebody gives you something, what do you say? Thank you. And when they're small, that's why you have to keep reminding. They give them something. You say, what are you going to say? Oh, oh, thank you. Now, the sign of maturity is your mom and daddy ain't got to walk beside you every time somebody gives you something for you to open up your mouth to say thank you. The sign of spiritual maturity is myself, no worship leader, this church or any other church ought to tell you to listen to this. Stand up, tell God thank you because if it's in your heart and you have gratitude toward God, your mouth, your hands, your feet, your body, everything ought to be engaged, connected to the heart, the thing that you cherish. When your team is winning, your team scores a point. Listen, nobody, the announcer got to come up with everybody please stand and rise and give your team. No, as a matter of fact, as soon as they get to come out on the field, and now ladies and gentlemen, and everybody going crazy, woo! You got folk throwing $10 popcorn in the air. They ain't going to waste that beer though. I noticed that. You throw that popcorn. <laughs> Hold on to the beer can, die. <laughs> I'm almost done. Like, like, give me two minutes. I promise, if that long. Real? Play me out. Play me out. Don't, 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 don't start saying get them happy again. All right, all right. I'm almost done. The last verse of this chapter is a sad verse. The whole chapter is filled with praise for the most part. The last chapter, the last verse of this chapter is a sad verse. Here's what it says. Therefore, 
hermeneutically, when you're studying the word of God, and it says in the English, therefore, you need to stop and ask, what, what is it therefore? Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. You want to know why? Look at the therefore. It's connected to what happened before you get to what is said. Because she refused to praise God. Because she refused to be grateful. Because she refused to uncover herself of her pride. Because she became critical of her husband and or those around. And became a spectator of criticism. Bitter in her heart toward others that loved the Lord. David wasn't perfect. But he worshipped God. You know what God says? I'm going to close up your womb. And you'll never bear children. There's a spiritual principle there. God has sown a seed inside of all of us. But that seed will never grow into fruition. Unless we give God the praise. With a grateful heart. And we give God the thanks. And worship him and make him preeminent. In all things. Listen to me carefully. The word of God says the same psalm as David says. In your fullness. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is I am pregnant with joy. In your presence I bring forth joy unspeakable out of my life. God has sown a seed of joy. A seed of peace inside of you. But it will never grow If you don't start being grateful, if you don't start giving him praise and stop complaining about what you don't have, my life is messed up. My God knows your life is messed up, but I don't have. He knows what you don't have. He didn't say praise me for what you don't have. He says praise me for what you do have. (laughs) This same David says enter into his courts with praise to his and it's his gates with praise and thanksgiving that's what he's called us to do David said bless the Lord all my soul and forget not his benefits sometimes you don't wait until you remember his benefits to praise him start praising him and he will remind you of the benefits and blessings that he's bestowed upon you (laughs) it's a blessing as a result of worshiping and praising God Blessing on top of blessing. The people who I love to be around the most are happy people. Joyful people. You want to know why? Because they're the most grateful people. The most thankful people. I got one pastor friend of mine. I'll go ahead and tell you. uh, Pastor Bartlett. I don't care what's going on in his life. I can call him right now. And it ain't just his tag. But I can call him right now. And I've been knowing him for 30 years. And if I say, Doc, how's things going? I won't complain. I won't complain. I have nothing to complain about. But I have every reason to give God thanks and praise. Amen. Sometimes you got to get undressed of our pride. In order to give God the dignified praise that he really deserves. Even if we got to get undignified in doing it. Amen. Father God, we give you praise and we thank you. We love you, O Lord. I pray that you are honored, O God. I pray, O Father, for the lost that they might come to know Jesus Christ even today, O Lord. 
Lord, realizing, oh Father, that all of us have sinned and come short of your glory. I pray that they would open up their hearts to receive the ultimate gift, and that is Jesus Christ himself as their Savior, as their Lord. God, I pray, oh Father, that we leave with a sense of gratitude, that we leave knowing that we're blessed in Jesus Christ and he has blessed us with all spiritual blessing in the layaway in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus already and every day oh father you're restoring our mercy every day you're making Lord our mercy fresh oh God Lord you've invited us to exchange oh father our ashes for beauty and Lord today no matter what our lives look like I pray that's the way we come what a great exchange oh God I'm waddling in the ashes and tears and sorrow Lord, I'm not going to leave this church in pity. I'm going to walk in this church in your power and in your might. God, we thank you today, oh Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's glorify the Lord in this place.